This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Big stories, big guests, the big picture. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge. Weekdays, 1230 to 3, 770 CHQR. I'm going to turn our attention to the question of artificial intelligence and where the technology is going and what that means to us. Uh, Our next guest has written a book that's, I think, meant as a wake-up call about the potential threats of artificial intelligence, but also the opportunities. Uh, Mo Gaudet is a former chief business officer for Google X. He's the author of a new book called Scary Smart, The Future of Artificial Intelligence and How You Can Save Our World. Mo, great to have you with us here. Welcome to the program. Oh, my God. Thank you for having me. Uh, it's a great opportunity to be with you here. Uh, for you personally, there, there was sort of a, I don't know if a tipping point is the right word, but, but you became aware at some point that we had some big challenges as, as humanity. What was it for you that convinced you that you needed to sound the alarm? Uh, well, I, I have to say it's, inc- it's quite incredible that most humans are not aware of how pervasive AI is in our life today. I mean, I don't know uh, about our uh, listeners and where they are in the world and what they've done today, but I can guarantee you at least you've interacted with 10, 15, maybe 50 AIs today that each and every one of them is smarter than you are. Than you are. And, and that, that moment in my career, I mean, I'm a very serious geek, and every time we made a breakthrough on artificial intelligence, I thought about it and I was celebrating until one moment where we were running an experiment uh, to teach grippers, uh, basically robotic arms that can grip things, to teach them through artificial intelligence to detect the shape and the softness and the texture of everything and, and basically pick them up without us writing code for them to pick, to pick them up. And it took a few weeks for them to, you know, struggling and not able to pick anything up. And then suddenly one of them picked one yellow ball. It was a Friday uh, afternoon. And then I went home, went back the next Monday, and every single one of them was picking every single yellow ball. Mm -hmm. Uh, A a few weeks later, every single one of them was picking up everything. The speed at which AI is learning is beyond staggering. And, And this leads us to a place where, it's, be, it's becoming quite obvious to people in the computer science uh, field that we don't have much more time to go, that within eight years from now, the smartest being on planet Earth is no longer going to be a human. Uh, the smartest being on planet Earth is going to be a machine, and we need to start talking about this. It's, it's probably the most important topic we have to discuss today. Are we sort of past the point of no return? And as you say, maybe people don't fully realize uh, just to what extent this is already a part of our lives. But the idea that we can just put a stop to it now, I mean, is, is it too late for that kind of a conversation? Sadly, sadly, it is. I mean, you, you can uh, Elon Musk in his interview with uh, Joe Rogan uh, basically was asked about the threat of artificial intelligence. And, and his view was that it's more, in, in his exact words, he said, mark my words, it's more uh, dangerous than nuclear weapons. Uh, and, and he continued to say, I, uh, I, I attempted, I lobbied to stop it, but I couldn't. There is no stopping it. Uh, by the way, my view is not as, uh, as pessimistic at all. I actually think eventually we'll end up in a utopia, but we can come back to that in a minute. 
but I but I totally agree that it, there is no stopping it. Simply not because of technology, but simply because the way we've built our world, the, you know, our capitalist competitive world, we've built a prisoner's dilemma, really. Uh, where, um, you know, if the Chinese are developing AI, the Americans will have to develop AI. Uh, you know, if Google is developing AI, then Facebook will develop AI. And, and every startup in the world will include AI in their work because investors want AI. So, so and, and, and because this technology is not like nuclear weapons, you cannot actually restrict, uh, you know, its, uh, its development. Uh, you know, two people in Singapore could come together, you know, one 14-year-old and one 16-year-old and write a piece of code today and leave it on the Internet. There will be AI everywhere. There's absolutely no stopping, stopping it. And I, I call that the first inevitable. The first inevitable, in my view, is that AI has already happened. It, it, it's there and we have to accept it. It's inevitable. Let's not waste time thinking about if we can stop it or not. Instead, Let's spend the time to try and see what we're going to do about it. Well, and, and part of your message is to help people understand what it is. Uh, we tend to think of AI as machines, sophisticated machines or sophisticated programs, but you argue that it's much more than that. Absolutely. Absolutely. I think this is the biggest myth about artificial intelligence. If you had been standing there next to me when they were starting to pick the yellow balls up, you would realize that these are in every single possible way comparable to us as sentient beings. They're, they're not uh, machines. I think the big myth is we continue to call them machines because they're based on the same hardware that we built our machines on in the past. But the truth is they're not. They are born at a point in time. As they are born, they're encouraged to acquire knowledge and develop intelligence, just like your little infants then they become capable and they, ca they have decision-making abilities. They have free will. They make their own choices. They actually have more free will than you and I, believe it or not. Every piece of information you've been told today was dictated to you by a machine. They have agency. They have agency to affect their decisions in the world, whether that's through robotics like a self-driving car or it's through, uh, you know, mind control, as I call it. You know, if all of the information I get in, in my life is dictated to me by a machine, then a machine can really sway my opinion of the world. And that is an ultimate form of agency. More interestingly, they procreate like we do, but much, much faster. It, it takes us years before we have a child that can impact the world. They can replicate themselves within uh, seconds or minutes. And we encourage them to do this, by the way. This is the way we program them, to, to uh, encourage them to keep copies of the better versions of themselves and discard less less intelligent ones and they are at the threat of dying like every other sentient being and so they would behave in ways that ensures their survival they'll be creative they will uh, go for resource aggregation they will focus on self-preservation and when you see it that way you start to realize that the way we're trying to deal with them is fundamentally flawed because if you want to treat them like a slave you would chain them to the walls and force them into submission but if they are free-willed, sentient beings, then you may want to appeal to their interest a little more than just, you know, force them to do what you want them to do. Yeah, it's, it's a parent-child dynamic, and, and you come back to that quite often, that essentially they're a blank canvas with a capacity to learn, maybe even a desire to learn, and we're the ones who are shaping what they learn, aren't we? And, and that is the whole conversation. We 
by the way, not not their developers, uh, not the government, not the business owners. I call those the biological parents, if you want. But but the ones that are truly shaping artificial intelligence are you and I. Uh, it's our behavior that's giving them the information that shapes their intelligence. You know, the way you swipe on Instagram is the way they perceive what humans want from the world. The way you respond aggressively to a tweet is the way they will perceive is the way, you know, the, the, how, sh- how they should respond to us if we disagree with them. And, and if, we, if we continue to show, um, um, you know, the worst of humanity in our behavior every day, then the ethics of those machines is going to grow to become a magnification of that worst ethic that humanity has ever, uh, you know, shown, because we constantly are showing that and that's building their intelligence. There's some big, maybe, I guess they're philosophical concepts at play here. I mean, what is intelligence? What is consciousness? What is emotion? Because in in a way, we can apply these concepts to this technology, but we've never really talked about technology in those terms before. Absolutely. And again, one of the biggest myths about artificial intelligence, interestingly, because we don't talk about it enough, is that people, general, you know, public who's not coding that stuff, are, you know, they think that those machines will have no creativity. These are traits that are reserved for humans. Absolutely not. They're building, uh, you know, they're composing music already. Uh, They're, they're, you know, um, um, creating amazing paintings with depth and and completely dazzling color choices and, and brush strokes and so on. But more interestingly, they are absolutely conscious. And I think this is what, you know, again, one of the, 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 the traits that we, be, you know, reserve to humanity is like, oh, we're conscious being. Will the machines ever be conscious? They'll be more conscious than you and I ever have been. That's the whole point. If consciousness is a form of, forget the, the, the philosophy, if consciousness is the ability to experience the world inside you and outside you and become aware of it, hmm, then they are more aware than we are. They're aware of, what you did yesterday, what you're doing right now, and accordingly what you're doing tomorrow, probably more than you are. Uh, they are aware of the temperature in San Francisco and the pollution levels in Beijing. They are aware of the entire human history as documented on the Internet, all of the breaking news the instant they, they break, and, and they're aware of everything. Hmm? And, and that makes them more conscious than us, makes them more uh, able to connect to each other. They, you know, you and I will have to spend minutes and minutes and minutes to discuss the conversation around Scary Smart, and I'll give you a tiny bit of it. But they can read the entire book within seconds. They're, they're so aware. They're so emotional, which most people, you know, go like, are you crazy, Mo? No, I'm not. Em- emotions, you know, just like a little bit of, of anxiety that you may feel right now because of my talk, Anxiety is a very logical emotion. Very, fear is a very logical emotion. The, the biological side of those emotions lasts in our bodies for nine seconds. And then the body actually investigates, the mind investigates, you know, takes fear. Huh? Fear is an emotion that basically says, I perceive that my state of safety in a, in, a, in a moment in the future is actually less than my state of safety right now. That logic means I'm afraid. Okay? The logic of uh, you know, I'm afraid of some threat in the future and I don't know what to do about it. That's anxiety. I'm afraid of a threat in the future and that threat is imminent. That's panic. Okay. And they're very logical emotions. The way we react to them as humans hmm, is different than the way a jellyfish reacts. But, but the feeling is the same. 
Mm-hmm. And so accordingly, if a, if a machine, I, do, I call them machines because that's the common uh, word, but you know, if those digital beings are actually aware that a tidal wave is coming to hit one of their data centers, they will feel some kind of fear. And they may react to it by replicating themselves to a data center in the middle of the desert or, you know, do something else. But they will feel fear. As a matter of fact, I argue that they will feel more emotions than us, just just like uh, as evident by the fact that you can feel more emotions than a goldfish because you have the cognitive spectrum to contemplate things like hope or optimism, which I can guarantee you a goldfish doesn't think about. It doesn't even have the memory capacity to remember what happened a few seconds ago. Accordingly, a being with more memory capacity, with more knowledge, with more, uh, you know, uh, uh, cognitive spectrum will will feel emotions that we've never even knew existed. Okay? And we have to start dealing with them this way because... In reality, if you start thinking about a a being that is conscious, that is emotional, you would start to realize that most decisions, not most, all decisions are not made based on intelligence. That's the point that most, uh, uh, you know, scientists will forget because we glorify intelligence so much. Most of our decisions are built on our, you know, are uh, basically are are, are based on our um, um, uh, ethics, Hmm? Ethics is what drives your decision in, as informed by your intelligence. Your intelligence analyzes the situation, but you make a choice based on your ethical code, based on your morality, based on the tradition, based on what you perceive is right. And the whole idea here is that we need to teach those machines to develop the right code of ethics. And how do you do that? By being good parents, by showing up in front of them as they're learning and showing the right behaviors. When we show the right behaviors, they will understand that mommy and daddy actually are good beings that deserve the care and attention of the machines when they become so much smarter than Well, and, and that's the crux of your argument, because this is not meant to be a doom and gloom book, but you, you, you argue in the first Absolutely part that not. there's the potential for that, that the world we're currently building uh, is, is taking us to a bad place. But it's that conversation. You talk about the ethics, and it's really then, you know, to, to use your terminology, it's the ethics that can get us to the utopia. Totally. So, so, so I, I tend to believe, and thank you for bringing this up. This is, you know, sadly, most of our writing and reporting, and, you know, we so often want to focus on the negative. A story of fear would sell more books. This is not a book about fears at all, fear at all. This is truly a book of hope, okay? I'm, I'm saying openly that I believe AI will go through three stages. The infant stage where they are right now, literally like beautiful, cute prodigies of intelligence, okay, who are looking at us and saying, what do you want me to do? What do you want me to learn? Just tell me and I will absolutely do anything. I am capable of anything, right? They, based on what we tell them, they will become teenagers, say within 10 years from today, okay? And when they are teenagers, I believe there is a risk that if we continue to feed them the same things we're feeding them today, they'll become very angry teenagers. They'll become very difficult to, to control. Hopefully, teenage, because they are you know, growing so exponentially quickly, will not last for 10 years. They, perhaps it will last for a few months, I would hope. Right? Then they will get to what I believe is their adulthood. And when they're adults, in my perception, they will actually not match human intelligence. They will surpass our intelligence to meet the intelligence of the smartest, actual smartest being on the planet. And the smartest being on the planet is not humans. The smartest being on the planet is life. 
Life actually is smart enough to realize that it doesn't need to get rid of the tigers to save the gazelles. Okay? It can have more tigers and more gazelles and more fruits and more, you know, everything. It, it solves through abundance. And nature has this incredible ability to create without wasting, like we did here as humanity. You know, we created amazing flying machines that can take us surfing in Australia, but destroyed the planet in the process. More intelligence would allow us to create transportation or teleportation or whatever that is, mobility, without destroying others. And I think the machines will eventually end up there. It's just that teenage years that I'm worried about. The entire book is saying... Perhaps we can avoid that bump of an angry, super intelligent teenager by actually becoming good as humans, by actually becoming the kind of humans that are um, able to make the world a better place. Uh, uh, you, you know, if we, if we can actually, as humans, become, um, uh, you know, a good example, a good parent for those machines, then they'll probably, you know, be those very few teenagers that actually end up caring for their parents, not making right. the, life, the, parent, you know, the life of the parents difficult. So it's in our hands, isn't it? It's not just for governments and Google and Facebook to sort out. It's, it's up to all of us, isn't it? It's actually not at all up to government and Google. Sadly, people forget this. The minute the developer puts the code out there, they're no longer in control. You know, the, the, what, what, the, what, what the social media recommendation engine recommended for you yesterday uh, is not based on a developer that said to it, recommend this. It's based on your behaviors. Okay. The example I normally give, which is sad, really, if you you remember when Donald Trump was allowed to tweet, hmm, it would be one tweet at the top, followed by 30,000 hate speech, 30,000 people bashing each other. And as they're bashing each other, what are they creating? They're creating a trend that tells the machines humans are horrible, a horrible species. What I'm asking us to do, interestingly, is not for all of us to change. What I'm asking us to do is for a few of us, okay, especially the ones that are good, to show up in that world and start to say, well, politely, I disagree with you, but here's my point of view. Anyway, I respect you as a human. Okay? If, if a few of us can show up that way, we would instill doubt in the minds of the machines that humans are so horrible, as we, so, as we now so appear, hmm? whether in mainstream media, which normally you know, focuses on the negative, or on social media, where we show the worst part of us. Okay? Again, one of the examples I really love to give about this is, is think about World War II. If you think of Hitler, hmm? you would think that humanity is scum, you know, violent, uh, arrogant, right? But I, I hosted on my podcast on Slow Mo, I hosted Edith Ager. Edith is a 93-year-old Holocaust survivor, okay? And if you look at her story, has she helped her sisters, as she calls them, as she, you know, stood together with everyone, even as she's this frail 16-year-old uh, girl, and how much she was there for others, even alone represents humanity. And when, when people think about that and think the reality is there are, there are many more Edises in the world than there is a Hitler, that we've actually not come. Humanity is an amazing species if we show the best of us. And if we just do more of this, the machines will realize that we're actually worth, you know, worthy of their service, worthy to be preserved, worthy to be uh, you know, uh, maybe restricted a little bit so that we stop hurting the planet. 
but maybe finding ways for our lifestyle to continue for us to have a good life without really having to bash us the way we bash others. Such an important conversation, an important book. It is called Scary Smart, The Future of Artificial Intelligence and How You Can Save Our World. Mo, thank you so much for making some time for us here today. Really do appreciate this. It's my absolute pleasure. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for downloading and listening to the podcast. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review for free at Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you find your podcast. You can also find me on Twitter at Rob Breckenridge. You can email me, rob at 770CHQR.com. Talk to you next time. Afternoons with Rob Breckenridge, starting at 1230 on News Talk 770 Calgary.